Well, I want to thank uh, uh, Scott for putting in the lights this last week. Uh, last week we were uh, functioning with uh, a lot less wattage than normal, and uh, today we have all of our lights, and that's, that's wonderful. I'd like to tell you a story. It's a story from the Bible, from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> it's a story, uh, really a parable, that the prophet Nathan told to King David over 3,000 years ago. Nathan was uh, not just a prophet, uh, he had the king's ear. And uh, David considered him a friend, a confidant, as well as a prophet. And so Nathan, on his heart, he was burdened to talk to the king about something very important, something very difficult. And so this is what he said. King, you know how much I respect you and love you and desire for God's blessing to be upon you and your kingdom. I'd like to tell you a story. And Nathan went on and told about the story of of two men in his kingdom. One was a rich man. One was a poor man. The rich man had many um, animals and much stock and he had much property and uh, all kinds of wealth in his family and in his property and uh, was living a life of luxury. His neighbor, however, was a poor man. And even though the rich man had many, many sheep and had great wealth, the poor man had none of that except for one small baby female lamb, a ewe lamb. And that was that poor man's prized possession. In fact, the poor man and his family treated that ewe lamb as if it was a family member. Uh, they fed it from the table, you know, just like we do our children when they're crawling around and we feed them from the table. They fed it from the table and uh, they, the, the children slept with the ewe lamb and it was a, a pet and it was beloved and it was treated just like a daughter. Well, a traveler came along and knocked on the door of the rich man. And in those days, it was very common uh, for travelers to come and knock on a door. And it was the appropriate thing to do in the ancient Near East, especially in um, uh, cultures like uh, we're talking about here in the, with the Jews. Uh, it was uh, very typical for them to invite them to a meal and to spend the night. And when you were wealthy, you were expected to give a wonderful meal. And so the rich man wanted to do that to this traveler. And so what he did was uh, he said, well, come into my home and meet my family. We're going to put you up and we want to provide you a great feast. But the rich man didn't really want to give him stuff from his own store. So he went over to his neighbor's house, took the ewe lamb, chopped it up, and they had some lamb chops. And that's what they fed the traveler. When this was over, uh, David's response to what Nathan had told him, this parable, was complete and utter anger, as you would expect. He was fuming. He said, you mean to tell me, Nathan, that in my kingdom, there is someone who is that insensitive, someone who is that ugly, someone who is that unfair and unjust. There's someone in my kingdom like that. And Nathan said, yes, that's true. He said, I want to see that man. And that man will feel the wrath of me and my entire kingdom. Bring that man before me. Nathan stood up to his full height 
took a step closer to his friend, King David, looked him right in the face and said, my brother, my king, my friend, you are the man. It's you. You are the one. David, God has given you this great wealth. He has given you victory over your enemies. He has given you fat sheep, fat cattle, and fat babies. He has given you beautiful wives. He has given you everything in the kingdom. And then look what you did. You took which, something that did not belong to you. You took Bathsheba. You took her as your wife. You made sure that Uriah, her husband, was killed. Nathan, you're, or excuse me, David, you're the man. You're the one. You're the problem. It's no one else. Now, at this point, Nathan backed away, not really knowing what was going to happen. I mean, it could have been one of these things, you know, off with your head. He didn't know really how David was going to respond, but... Uh, see, Nathan had a dilemma. How do I tell the most powerful man in the world that his life is a mess? How do I tell the man who has the choice of life or death over everybody in his kingdom, how do I tell him that his life is in ruin and that he is disobedient to God? Nathan's decision was to tell him in the form of a parable. Now, after the parable was over, and Nathan stood back waiting for the response of David, this is what David did and said. He fell to his knees, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now that also shows you, shows you the heart of David, doesn't it? I have sinned against the Lord. I wonder if Nathan had have gone to him a different way. If Nathan had gone up to him and said, hey, man, we've got to talk. You're messing up. You're totally goofed up and, and God's going to get you. I think if he had have done that, that David would have just dismissed him. But, but he listened. And he listened to a story. And he listened to a story that had intent. A parable. And it struck the mark. Now that's why we're going to, for the next several weeks throughout the summer... Study the parables, this. Parables are stories with intent. Most of the parables are in the Gospels. Uh, there's only two in the Old Testament. I told you one of them. But most of the parables are from the words of Jesus himself in the Gospels. But there's also this wonderful passage in the Old Testament, in Psalm 78, where the psalmist was talking about the importance of communicating the truth and this is what he said in Psalm 78, 1-4. He said, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from of old. Things we have heard and known. Things our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power and his wonders he has done. Now, the psalmist here lays a foundation for arguably the most effective method of teaching in the Bible. And it was Jesus' most powerful tool throughout the Gospels to communicate truth to his hearers. And it was done through parables. Now, there's one chapter in the New Testament that kind of describes parables 
It gives you examples of parables and tells you why parables are so important. It's Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, we're going to spend some time in here today and uh, see what God has for us as we open this series on the parables for the summer. So I want to look, first of all, towards the end of that chapter, Matthew 13, and look at two verses, verses 34 and 35. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. And this is when he goes back to Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Today, we begin a brand new series of messages for the summer entitled Finding Direction, the Parables of Jesus. Now, when you study the Gospels, the first stop you make, really, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the definitive part of Jesus' teaching that makes you wake up and say, okay, I better pay attention to this, because this matters, and this kind of sets the table for everything else that Jesus said in the Gospels. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus basically said this, I want to invite all of you to a party. And the party is called the Kingdom of God. And you might think that a, a party, a religious party, is, is, is a party that will be especially about uh, those of you who are religious. Uh, the Pharisees, the, uh, the, the teachers of the law, the Sadducees, all of these people who are educated and informed and, and religious and everything else. It might seem that these are the people that will be invited to this party that we call the Kingdom of God. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's really not the case. Instead, I want to invite uh, different people to my party. As his guests, I want to give the invitation to just the opposite of what you would expect. Not the strong or the capable or the educated or the religious. But I invite to this party, this kingdom party, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourners, those who are meek, those who are hungry and thirsty, those who are persecuted. These are the ones that are welcomed into the kingdom of God. And once we have experienced the kingdom of God by faith, we are the ones who dwell in this kingdom. You say, well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the kingdom of Jesus. It's the kingship of Christ in the world. It's the kingship of Christ in your heart. The kingdom of God is brand new. It's something that they never expected in the Old Testament. It's this idea that you can know and love and serve God personally and intimately. You can know Jesus. And we studied in Colossians just a few months ago, Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. <laughs> That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not going to church. The kingdom of God is not saying a prayer. The kingdom of God is not giving a tithe. The kingdom of God is living in Jesus and Jesus living in you. And Jesus said, the ones who are invited to that party are those who are not, do not think they're well, but those who think they're sick. It's not those who are prideful, but those who are broken. It's not those who are happy and successful. It's those who are coming to God with their arms open and saying, I need you desperately, those who are poor in spirit. These are the ones who are invited to the kingdom of God. In other words, you, Hope Covenant Church, you are invited to the kingdom of God. They are welcomed into this kingdom by faith. 
And Jesus tells them of the, the wonders and mysteries, the responsibilities and dangers, and all the joy and beauty of living in this kingdom. And he says it primarily through the parables. Let's look at Matthew 13, 10 to 17. Let me read you those verses. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, who is Jesus talking to? The disciples. Okay? So he's not only talking to the twelve disciples, other followers of Jesus, but he's talking to you and to me as well, those of you who follow Christ. The knowledge of the secrets, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, those outside the family of God. Whoever has, uh, excuse me, whoever has will be given more, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And as you're hearing this, you're thinking of David and Nathan. And, uh, and Nathan suspected that if he just went up and told David the problem, that David would not hear, he would not understand. But he told them instead in a parable. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. And turn, and I will would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Here Jesus is saying, listen, there's, there's a lot of people in the world. But most of them don't see. Most of them don't hear. And so I have to speak to them in ways that maybe they understand a little bit better. So I speak to them in parables. But you... Know the mysteries of God. Now, that's kind of an, a, an amazing thing. The disciples were a common lot, mostly uneducated, except for Matthew and, and Luke. Uh, they were just kind of common, ordinary people. But somehow God revealed to them, through Jesus' teachings, this mystery. This amazing mystery. Now, what's the mystery of the Old Testament? What, what, what is it that's been revealed to us that they didn't know in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, the sacrificial system. Okay, so God, what's up with this killing goats and sheep and laying them on the altar? That sounds gross. That sounds manic. I mean, why, what are we doing? And God said, just obey me. But, but, but we don't understand what it means. Just obey me. You know, Abraham got ready to kill Isaac. Just obey me. It's all about obedience. But people didn't understand what that was all about until Jesus came. The best, Colossians 1, greatest, Last, permanent sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from when? The foundation of the world. So, so this mystery of this sacrificial system was revealed in Jesus. But it wasn't just that. It was also this mystery of how can I get to know God? In the Old Testament, there was always this barrier uh, this cloud or pillar of fire, and the Israelites said, God, you're up there, but you look so 
awesome and so amazing and I can't touch you and I can't see you. And Moses looks on Mount Sinai and sees this burning bush and I don't know what you look like. And I, How do I get to know you? How do I get to know you personally? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with this other man in the fiery pit. How do I know this burning, fiery God? How do I know you? Here's the mystery. It's not God up there. It's God in here. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, third person of the Trinity. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth to show you that you can have a personal, intimate relationship with God. Not a fiery burning bush, not a curtain that separates between you and God like it did in the tabernacle or in the temple. None of that. But you can know Jesus personally, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now that's revealing a mystery. (laughs) A mystery that they didn't understand in the Old Testament and they now understand. That is amazing. You can now see with your eyes. You can hear with your ears. You can see Jesus' eyes and his heart in this. So let me ask a couple of questions about parables as we kind of set the stage for these coming weeks. Three questions about parables. The first one is this. Why did Jesus teach in parables? I'm going to give you several things. You can write these down in your sermon notes if you'd like. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, the first thing was to reveal the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom. Okay, so all of these common, ordinary people, um, remember what the disciples were called, idiotes, uh, these common, ordinary men uh, that were on the shore, on this uh, the hillside when Jesus was teaching, and all of these people, it wasn't the religious people, the smart people, but all these people, you're invited to the kingdom. I'm invited to the kingdom? Yes, you're invited. And to you, I'm going to reveal the mysteries and the secrets of the Old Testament. The sacrificial system, uh, the fact that you can know God personally. These are mysteries that will be revealed to you. So, one of the purposes of uh, Jesus' teaching in parables is to reveal the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom. Another purpose is to illustrate truth in understandable ways. The word parable means to throw alongside. That doesn't seem to help much, but... So parable, so you lay something out and you explain this thing that you've laid out. Okay, this is this, this is... I don't understand. Okay, let me throw something alongside that and give you an illustration. Okay, this is what it means. Oh, now I understand. So an analogy, a comparison, that's what a parable is. So Jesus spoke in parables to reveal mysteries and secrets of the kingdom, to illustrate truth in understandable ways. Three, because they're easy to listen to. Everybody loves stories. I can't tell you how many times... I've had these profound theological thoughts, I thought, you know, and I thought, oh, people are going to grab this theological truth and it's going to be part of them. And when I leave, they say, hey, that was a great story about your son, you know, or that was a great story. But hopefully those stories relate to that deep truth. And that's what Jesus did so well. Easy to listen to. Number four, to disarm those antagonistic or judgmental. That's what Nathan did. To disarm um, uh, King David... He used this method to kind of bring him down a notch, get him focused on the subject. And, oh, yeah, somebody did that. That's a bad thing. And, I, and he, he used it. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I um, first confessed my sin uh, to my family and to my church of gambling, I, I was started in a relationship with Jim Sundholm, who was the associate superintendent of the Northwest Conference of the Covenant. And he was my accountability partner, my confidant, and my counselor. And I remember one time early on in the process, maybe a couple months into the process, um, I was in his office and, and I was saying, you know, yeah, I know I was wrong and it was bad and I, I was deceptive. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're kind of dismissive. Yeah, it was. But 
Jim, you need to know the church was really not fair to me. And Jim, you need to know that Sherry was picking on me at home, you know. And you didn't know that the, the dog would bite me when I'd come home from work. And so, all, and, and I'd say, and, and Jim said, let me tell you a story. And guess what story he told? The story of Nathan and David. <laughs> and I knew the story. And when he started telling it, oh no, I know exactly. And when he's done, he said, this is exactly what he said. He said, Dwayne, you're the man. It's on you. It's your responsibility. It's your fault. It's your sin. It's on you. Don't try and blame somebody else. So there's something about parables that disarms and keeps those who maybe would be antagonistic or judgmental and helps them to hear it. Number five, make people think, ponder, reflect. That's the purpose of the uh, parables, to make people think and ponder and reflect. And number six, uh, to understand heaven, re- heavenly realities from earthly stories. It's what I call the light bulb experience. Oh, oh, now I get it. That's why. It's kind of the light bulb comes on. And, and so those are the, uh, uh, why Jesus taught in parables. Let me ask a second question, and it's this. Why should we expect by studying, what, what should we expect by studying the parables? What should you and I expect by studying the parables? Well, number one, to learn more about Jesus. If you want to know the heart and the life of Jesus and know what he was thinking and feeling, if you want to know that, then you read the parables. For instance, if you want to know what Jesus felt about the sinners, what Jesus felt about those who were hanging out in the bar, uh, those who were uh, in, in brothels, uh, those who were uh, uh, bad leaders in government, if you want to know what Jesus felt about those you go to Luke 15, and he gives you three parables. Boom, boom, boom. He says, I want you to know what I feel, how I feel about these sinners. And most of us are going, oh, cool. Finally, he's going to pound these people. He's going to say, these sinners, and he's going to shame them, and he's going to point his finger at them, and say, he's going to, you're bad, and you're going to hell, and all that stuff. That's what you kind of thought. And Jesus started telling these parables. And you know what the parables are? He had the parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep. <laughs> and the parable of the lost son. We're going to do some of those later in the summer. In other words, Jesus said, yeah, I know this guy's off his rocker. I know this guy's sinning. I know this guy's off on it. But you know what? I, I, I still love him and care for him so much. I will do anything in my power to bring that one lost sheep, that one lost son, that one lost coin. I will do anything to find them. You want to know what Jesus thinks about unsaved people? You want to know what Jesus thinks about people that are broken and hurting and sinful? That's what he thinks. He doesn't think shame on you. He thinks they matter to me. They matter to me. I'm going after them. I'm sorry. I started preaching there for a minute. Let's get back to what I was talking about. Okay. So to learn more about Jesus is the first thing. Learn about his character. Learn about his heart. Number two, to understand God's will. To be able to ask the question, what on earth am I doing here? And to be able to answer that question. Uh, These, by the way, all of these are the so what's. You know, uh, when uh, when I was a kid, a teenager, I was kind of I was kind of this engineering geek, and I always was the one that in Sunday school would say I wouldn't say it that way because my dad would have boxed my ears. But I would say, "What do you mean? I don't understand." What I was saying was, "So what? If that's true, so what? What does that have to do with me?" So these parables answer the "so what" question. Uh, number three, to learn about the kingdom, who is in the kingdom, who's invited to the kingdom, and what is the kingdom. Number four. To learn how to relate to each other. Okay, that's an important one. To learn how to relate to each other. In other words, uh, how do I relate to you, other believers? How do I relate to the world, people that are not Christians? How do I relate to them? 
And probably the most important thing Jesus taught in parables is how I relate to my enemies. How do I relate to my enemies? Because Christianity is the only religion that addresses that. Well, it's, it, other, uh, other traditions address it. Uh, uh, Islam, for instance, said, well, you kill your enemies. That's, that's what you do with your enemies. But Christianity is the only one that says you're supposed to love your enemies. It's kind of a weird concept. And even Christians have a hard time with it. So, so the parables are teaching you how to deal with each other. Christians, non-Christians, and enemies. And number five, the other thing uh, we can expect from studying the uh, parables is to learn about the character of God. His grace, His mercy, His compassion, His justice, His judgment, to learn about the character of God. The third question I want to look at today, how should we respond to Jesus' parables? I want to do that by sharing a parable that Jesus used. And it's in Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9. Listen to this. The same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him here. So, Jesus, remember this chapter 13 describes what a parable is and then gives examples of why parables matter. And here in this parable, beautiful parable, it says, this is why you should pay attention to parables. <laughs> this is why you should pay attention to the Word of God. Now, he explains it later, we won't go into that now, but he explains that the seed is the message of the kingdom of God. Okay, so that seed, imagine that seed being dropped. The seed is the message of God's love and grace and forgiveness. The seed is saying, you, even if you're broken, sinful, and lonely, you are welcomed into the kingdom by faith. That's the seed, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not a message of shame or condemnation or anything like that. It's a message of you are welcome to join this kingdom if you receive Christ by faith. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Okay? So that is the invitation. That's the seed. It's the message about the kingdom. And the soil is what? Our hearts. Okay? So the seed is falling on our hearts. That's what this parable is about. And it gives four different examples. The first is, some seed fell on the path. Now what it means literally is fell on hard ground. So here's what they used to do in the ancient Near East. So they'd have these furrows and they would plant seeds in them and they would grow their corn or their wheat or whatever. But what they would do is they would have these um, donkeys... And they'd put the seed on the back of these donkeys and they would poke a hole in the uh, seed bag, a small hole. And so the donkey's kind of going like this, you know, and uh, the seed's falling out. And when they would do that, the seed would fall out, some in the furrows, but some would fall on the top part, like the berm, that was hard and it was pressed down hard because people traveled on it and walked on it. And it would fall on that berm, that hard, and that's what this first one talks about. Some hearts are not open to the love of Jesus. Some hearts say, no, no, that's not for me. I, I'm going to do it my own way. Some hearts say, 
No, I'm finding my truth in another religion. Some hearts say, no, leave me alone, God. I can do things on my... Some hearts are hard. And when that seed falls on, the Bible says literally that the enemy, in this case, uh, birds, it's, it's referring to like Satan and his demons, it, they come along and what do they do? They steal the seed. Why? Because it's sitting on top of hard ground. A hard heart. Some of you, I don't know, some of you may be that person. I don't know. In fact, as we're going through these four scenarios, I want you to look and hear, where are you? Because everybody's in one of these four categories. Where are you? And, and some people might have this hard heart closed to any other truth, and the evil one snatches it away. The second kind of soil, it fell on rocky ground. Now, this isn't rocky ground like you'd find in Minnesota or Sweden. Uh, this is uh, a narrow skin of earth over a shelf of limestone rock. All throughout Jerusalem and in the surrounding Judean countryside, you find this this narrow skin of earth over a shelf of limestone rock. And here Jesus is saying, sometimes seed falls and your heart kind of, the kingdom of God, the gospel of grace and Jesus' love for you, that it falls and it kind of feels good and it feels right. I know many of you have at times said yes, I, I say yes to Jesus, and it feels kind of right. But, but because there's a hardness underneath that surface, uh, it takes root maybe immediately and sprouts up really quickly. But because it doesn't get the water and the nourishment, it literally does not have a chance. And when the sun comes out, difficulties, life, stuff like that, the sun comes out, it literally withers up and dies. These are people who say, yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll buy you to Jesus, but they never think through the consequences. They never consider the cost. Jesus said, this isn't going to be easy. Jesus says, if you come to me, your life is going to be better than ever and harder than ever. Yeah, that's quite a call. You know, if somebody came, told you that, you know, a marketing person, you'd say, well, I don't want your product. Jesus said, it'll be better than ever and it'll be harder than ever. But some people don't consider the cost. And the first time that something goes wrong, well, Jesus apparently didn't love me. Apparently, I wasn't sincere in my prayer. And so there is no faith there. Some, a third category, fell among thorns. Now, thorns are like weeds. And sometimes you can cut off weeds in your yard, I've done this many times, and the yard looks good, right? For a day, until the rain comes and the weeds... You have to pick them out by the roots. And that's what it's talking about here. Looks good for a short time. The, 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 the life springs up in Christ. Okay, I, I loved you. But there's so many things going on. Uh, one poet said, it's like uh, that the cares of this world is like a clogging dust. That descriptive... The cares of this world is like a clogging dust. And, and so we have other things that we have given our lives to. There are other things that we have come to believe will satisfy us. There are other things that we have come to believe will feed us and nurture our soul. And those things the Bible calls idols. It could be money, sex, power, relationships, job, you name it. They're all idols. And when you have all of these things in your life that really matter to you, and you, they're really gobbling up your time, and they're gobbling up your soul, and you hear Jesus say, that sounds right, and I want it, and, but those weeds come up and they choke it out, and there's nothing left. And then there's a fourth type. And, and by the way, this fourth type you're going to see this morning as we share these um, uh, testimonies around baptism. It's people who hear and understand and embrace the kingdom of God. 
They don't just hear about Jesus' love. They say, that's for me. I need it. I drink it. I eat it. I consume it. It's part of me. It's in me. I can't live without Jesus. I know this deep inside of me. And when someone embraces the gospel that way, guess what? It takes root. And those roots are deep. And Jesus said, I will never, ever let you go. Do you have those kind of roots this morning? Those deep in your soul? Here's one last question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has His love and His truth and His grace and His life taken root in you? Now, as, as I was describing these four different ways of responding to the message of the kingdom of God, folded into that, I wanted you to respond to the message of the kingdom of God. This isn't just about teaching. This is about receiving the word of life. Has Jesus entered your life? Can you say... Christ in me, the hope of glory? Or have the cares of this world choked out any relationship you've had with God? Has other things, has your soil, has your heart been so hard that you just can't really receive it? The Bible says in John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave you the power to become the children of God. Have you received the kingdom message with an open, soft, receptive heart? Would you bow your heads with me for...